Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Eridix. I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, theinclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I am the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention to anybody out there listening to us live that we're not taking phone calls, uh, but the chat room will be open. I am using a browser this morning that incorporates the chat room nicely, and so I have seen many people mm-hmm. come log in and log out when they see nothing is happening. So hello and goodbye to all of you. And anybody who has a question they'd like to suggest for today, I'll try to work it in if we have time. Um, Great. I am feeling unusually awake right now. Usually I just roll out of bed in time for the show, but my son started his summer job this week, and he starts at 7 a.m., so oh, things have been my. starting early in our house lately. I know that's wow. It's earlier than that now where you are, Nicole. But that's early in my house for anybody to be doing <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, don't don't complain. So, don't tell me about and seven of o'clock. Course, <laughs> me having to be driving him at seven o'clock. So wow. uh, I'm getting up early and getting all sorts of stuff done before nine o'clock. So I'm already Good for you. you. Know, Almost done with my first cup of coffee. I've written a newsletter. I've done all sorts of things already this morning. <laughs> You're Extremely productive. Your I may nod off during the conversation, but as of now, it's good for the for the next few weeks. <laughs> wow. We'll be unusually alert for our shows. <laughs> Great. How's good for him here where you are. <laughs> yeah, good for him. He's 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 uh, working he's in an finished. office. And I take it he finished his math class, and you're all done with school right now? He did finish his math class, and he passed it, and so school's, school's been done. We had about a week off, week or two off in between, and now starts the summer mm-hmm. job. So he's working in an office for the Department of Public Works in our town and uh, doing filing and office work and stuff. And uh, great. From 7 to noon. Keep him busy. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Keeping my... busy is good. Work is good. And uh, work is we're grateful for the county work program for kids with special needs that has given my kids summer jobs for years. So wonderful, it's, uh, very nice thing. I think except you need to for do something along early morning, something <laughs> along those lines as well. Something yeah. related to community programs and inclusion, yes. and because those are some wonderful resources yes. for parents who they you are, know, yes, are looking they are, and it's if you have a kid who is in high school who is approaching high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, become friends with the transition coordinator at your child's high school if there is such a person. The transition mm-hmm. coordinator can be just a treasure chest of opportunities. If you, uh, you know, I met ours when my daughter was in middle school, was in I guess eighth grade, and I was freaking out about high school. And somebody said, "Go talk to the transition coordinator at the high school." So I did. She was extremely nice. She walked me through what all was going to happen, and she said, by the way, there's this work program that she's eligible for. Does she want to do that? So, uh, you know, if you're wondering about things like that, uh, I know at that time this work program started at age 14. So, you know, start asking questions about it early so you know what what happens. With funding, it now starts at age 16. So. Right, um, right. But, uh, you know, that would be the person to talk to about it, would be the high school transition coordinator. And 
that person can often give you way more information about a wide variety of things and is uh, somebody that you want to hook up with absolutely as early as possible. Excellent. Good for parents to know. And once again, yes. we are encouraging parents to be part of their child's special education and know yes. as much as you can. So it's uh, important to, to know what's going on and what you have around you. Yes, and, and know your allies. That's right. <laughs> Build your team of support. <laughs> Build your Absolutely. network. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 No. Very important. Well, we're having a, a, a network of family and friends this summer. Speaking of network, it's just been a revolving mm-hmm. door here, which has been really nice because all year we're very much on our own down here in Southern California. Uh-huh. But yeah. we've had a nice steady stream of people, and it's been well, a nice. fantastic summer. And I don't have to podcast from a secluded location in my house. <laughs> I can sit in my office this morning. <laughs> oh, nice. And and uh, usually I hide away when I have guests, but my uh-huh. guest today was very grateful or gracious and said, no, 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 you, you can go into the office. I'll wake up with you. So, Oh, good. <laughs> yes, yeah, so here I am. And uh, I'm looking forward to t- today's discussion. We are going to be having more of a philosophical discussion today uh, with Carol Quirk from the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. And Carol is here to talk to us about viewing inclusion as a natural part of the human experience. And we want to, uh, therefore, or we would therefore expect it to be a natural part of a child's school experience. So mm-hmm. we're just we're, we're going to look at and address ways to uh, ways that we can encourage and ways that we can support inclusion and disability as part of our everyday life, because for some reason schools just don't seem to get that. So <laughs> good. Good morning, Carol. How are you? Hi, Terry. Hi, Nicole. Um, I'm great. Thanks. And I'm uh, really glad to be here. Yes, thank you for joining us this morning. It's not as early where you are, so we appreciate you um, calling in nonetheless and uh, here with us this morning. And as I mentioned earlier, um, well, I don't think I did mention, but you're a returning guest. You were with us uh, about a year or so ago uh, talking about inclusion. So we're very grateful that you're back and happy to have you back again today. So Thank you for joining us. And uh, why don't you get started here by suggest or just you know making the comment that many of our colleagues who have disabilities talk about uh, disability and special needs as part of a natural human experience. So, for example, some people are born with disabilities, some people acquire them, and some people experience uh, disabling conditions through the aging process. Do you see students with disabilities as a natural part of the school experience? Um, well, you know, I do. I do, and I think many of my colleagues and friends do and are really working hard with our schools um, to encourage people to think about students who have disabilities as regular students, not as special needs students. Um, mm-hmm. Think about them just like everybody else, and they have... Um, some aspect about their appearance, their communication, their um, intellectual ability, their processing that um, may require something that's different from um, other students. And so I've been really thinking about this question of who belongs. Mm -hmm. Um, We see a lot, you know, in the inclusion literature about um, inclusion uh, being equated with a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. and uh, talking about the 
uh, both the academic aspect of participation as well as social. But when I think about schools that um, we may be called in to help because they're struggling to include mm-hmm. a student, if it was only a matter of helping them understand how to adapt the curriculum, that would mm-hmm. be easy. Um, you right. know, if it was only a matter of teaching um, social skills or explaining something about the disability to other students, honestly, that would be really pretty easy. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be easy to help teachers or administrators who just may not have figured that part out. Mm-hmm. The biggest barrier is really um, an attitude about whether or not students who have obvious and maybe more significant disabilities really mm-hmm. belong in the classroom yeah. with everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, it's definitely an attitude towards inclusion because inclusion is not a program. Inclusion is a way of life, a way of living, a way of interacting with people. And I love the statement that you made about just viewing people with you know, the understanding that they have differences. Everybody has differences, whether they're visible or not. We all are unique and different in our own way. Therefore, you know, whether somebody is in a wheelchair or somebody else um, you know, has learning disabilities, um, we all have our our own challenges. <laughs> so I, yeah. I think it's important to accept all that, and and that's the you know the attitude that should be encouraged. Well, you know, and in, in thinking about attitude, um, one of the things that I, I've had a series of questions that have been running through my mind, and one of the things that I've been thinking about is perspective and mm-hmm. um, how much people, and I'm talking not just about people in schools, but people in general, um, want to put themselves in the perspective of someone else who may be perceived as different and maybe Mm -hmm. even, and I'm putting in quotes, less by society. You know, if you think about our, um, you know, cultural history, you know, from the ancient times of, you know, putting people, killing babies who were, uh, had what they considered deformities or putting people away and we put people in institutions even in the last Mm -hmm. hundred years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we had the desegregation movement, but even then there was an attitude about where do these people belong? Do they belong Mm -hmm. in the community? And Mm -hmm. do they have the same equal rights to participate in the same way? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have, you know, the ADA, and so we have our laws that say, you know, we're all equal, but... Mm -hmm. What I think, you know, I've been thinking about is what is our society's role in ensuring equal participation? So when I meet Mm -hmm. a principal who says that child doesn't belong here, I wonder why they don't see themselves as having a very important role in helping this individual student be a member with equal opportunity. Right. And coming from a principal of a school you would expect the opposite. <laughs> like, you know, why why isn't there uh, the thought that all ch- children belong in the school and all children need an education and have, you know, equal access to the opportunities that are provided by a school? So, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I, I'm, I quite agree with you there. Now then, how do we as a culture promote not just tolerance of people's 
disabilities and special needs, but acceptance of that difference. What are you thinking along those lines? How should we promote that? Well, you know, I was thinking about the uh, our public relations imaging of people with disabilities, and there's two predominant ways that uh, people with disabilities are portrayed. And mm-hmm. one is the Jerry Lewis pity model, um, mm-hmm. feeling sorry for these unfortunate people. Yeah. And that really, you know, capitalizes on people's um, sense of power, control, and kind of authority and um it puts people in a hierarchical position of being better, and mm-hmm. so I have more, whether I have more money, I have more beauty, I have more, so I can give you, poor person, uh, you know, something. So this whole pity mm-hmm. approach um, is really bothersome, and I think that perpetuates the notion that there are some people who have more and some people who have less. Mm-hmm. The inequality. Right. The other mm-hmm. thing I think that in our imaging um, is the whole sense of beauty. Um, I don't know, you know, if you have seen on your Facebook or other social media when people who you may love very much post pictures of, say, a, a beautiful little two-year-old with Down syndrome, and mm-hmm. everybody likes that beautiful picture. Well, mm-hmm. if you posted a picture of someone who had significant physical um, uh differences due to cerebral palsy and uh, perhaps had uh, microcephaly and maybe some very obvious differences, would everybody like that and think that was beautiful? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a whole cultural aspect in our society about what's beautiful and what isn't. Yeah. And yeah. people's degree of comfort with that. Exactly. Now, how? I'm just going to throw another question out here at you then. How... Do you think schools, as a smaller uh, community, um, you know, sort of as a smaller unit, how can schools encourage and promote tolerance, do you think? Like, what are some ways, uh, you know, branching off from media and beauty and the things that we Mm -hmm. think define one another? Do you have any ideas and thoughts as to how schools can do that? Well, I think it's, I actually think it's pretty simple, um, which is the message, which is that everybody belongs. Mm-hmm. If, if an administrator, just think about this, in a school building where um, there are, you know, 600 students and you have an administration, you have teachers that are classroom teachers, you have teachers that provide specialist services like reading specialists, special educators, speech therapists, and others. And they're they're operating, and they have some students who require more. If there's simply the message that everybody belongs and everybody needs to get whatever it is they need in order to be a fully accepted member, that sends the message that we all adults, we are then expected to model um, the extra work it might take on our part, Mm -hmm. the creativity, but also... um, monitoring that social interaction. Let me give you an example. I was recently in a school where um, there's a student who the school wanted out because the student had some problem behavior, and other students um, who didn't really understand the student's behavior were engaging in some social media bullying. Mm -hmm. 
the school administration's response was, and actually it was going both ways with social media bullying going on, the school's mm-hmm. response was this student needs to go someplace else because it's, she is causing a problem in our school. It wasn't <laughs> sending a message that this girl belongs here and we all have a responsibility to work together to, to work this out, uh, work it out and help her acquire this uh, socially appropriate behavior that's going to help her in her future life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really point. a message. You give the message, and you put everybody kind of on alert that yeah, this is what the expectation is. Right. So rather than removing them, we're going to work this out together. We need a solution, and mm-hmm. exclusion isn't an option. That's sort of how when I was working in inclusive education uh, in that system, it was just we had no other option. And I mean, it wasn't even thought of. It was just that we went into it knowing that this was the way the school operated and our district operated, and that's how we worked towards that. So right. it really is a very broad approach and attitude to teaching and classrooms and students. So, yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah. So this is what I haven't figured out, though, um, is how to always change those attitudes. I have mm-hmm. seen attitudes. I've seen attitude change when people actually experience a successful um, a, a successful experience with a child who they didn't think could be included and mm-hmm. successfully, um, where a student who may have looked different had a more significant um, difference in their communication, physical or other aspects of their, themselves. Mm-hmm. when they have actually seen a change in that student, in the teacher's practice, and in other students, their attitude has changed. But um, we can't just go about and tell someone, you know, you've got a bad attitude. Yeah, <laughs> So I haven't yeah. figured that out yet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, well, that's why I was mentioning, you know, the, the imaging in society. And yeah. so what we can do, I think, is if we, all of us, people who are listening, people who care about this issue, don't accept some of the imaging that we see as people being pitied, no matter who they are, or mm-hmm. people, you know, children with disabilities being beautiful in order to be white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that we need to just be more cognizant, and if we as individuals don't accept um, difference as bad as a societal norm, you know, we can help push that along. Right, right. Great. Love those ideas, Carol. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me what you were talking about is I I don't think that adults, in this time when we're talking so much about bullying and it's such a big part of the children's curriculum and people talk about it so much, but I don't think adults realize how much exclusion is a form of bullying and sends a message that, you know, it's okay to disregard the rights of some people. Uh, even whether it's, you know, a kid with food allergies or a kid with significant special needs or whatever, we have to think about the whole message that we send as society and as adults and as administration of a school. Uh, you know, whenever you say, yes, okay, you're right, that that person really doesn't belong here, you're basically giving permission to bully and you're being a bully. And uh, I'm always amazed when I see that because so much money is spent on bullying programs, but we're not doing a really good job modeling it oftentimes. Yeah, you know, and I think that goes to teachable the, moment. Um, yeah, that goes to the perspective aspect. Um, sometimes I have actually said 
to some of the um, teachers or an administrator that I was recently talking to, just imagine what it must be like to go through every single day and not have friends. What would you feel like if that was you? Or what would it feel like if you saw all of the other children in your classroom and you wanted to interact with them, but you had you couldn't talk and mm-hmm. you didn't have a communication system? What would that feel like? You know, try to yeah. get a perspective of um, what we as a society are doing when we're not working to make our school environments inclusive. Yeah. You know, now of course there are laws that that uh, mandate a certain level of inclusion, the ADA, um, and sometimes you get people who will follow the letter of that, but not the spirit, uh, or feel that that's all that needs to be done when in fact it's just a beginning. Um, how should society be expected to go beyond those requirements and uh, schools focus on academic standards when it comes to teaching students with disabilities? Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up um, because along with the ADA, when we're talking about schools, we have the LRE, the Least Restrictive Environment Mm -hmm. um, component of the placement process. And I was recently talking with someone because we're working with a school to really transform the school to be more inclusive and not have separate classes, you know, recognizing Mm -hmm. that academically there may be times when students may be homogeneously grouped for instructional purposes, which is very different than creating uh, like an autism class or an ED class or, or whatever mm-hmm. main class. And as I was talking to this administrator, she said, well, we have to have the continuum. And so what that told me right away is that she's not looking at children, at individuals. Yeah. She's looking at a an organizational structure. Mm-hmm. And so there's no person in there. And, you know, so yeah. what I said, well, you know, we're required by law to offer a continuum of placements when children need them. But yeah. that doesn't mean you create a placement that nobody <laughs> needs. Yeah. Because what will happen? You know, yeah. do you have any closets in your house that are unfilled? I mean, do you have mm-hmm. any drawers, you know, in a desk that don't have stuff in them? If we have it, yeah. we will fill it. So right. we only create those alternatives when we run out of options. Yeah, I always, you know, hate hearing when we talk about academic standards, well, these kids can't do that or, you know, these kids aren't able to to learn those things. And it's, you know, you have to challenge them. You have to try. And once you call a group of people these kids or those kids, you're never really, Mm -hmm. you've you've made it clear what your aspirations are for them. Um, Mm So I really, uh, how have you seen schools incorporate differences as a natural part of the educational experience? Well, I have seen some schools do a really fabulous job at um, at that. And schools, when I think of the schools that I consider to be the most inclusive, they have made an effort to um, support their adults teaching staff in collaborating together and not made it difficult. So mm-hmm. what's hard for teachers is when they have no time to talk to each other. Um, so when school yeah. administrators in particular, when they really look at their organizational structure and figure out how can we make this easier for our teachers to do this well um, by giving them the time and giving them the skills if they need some professional development. The yeah. other thing I see um 
schools do, and again, it's really the message from the administration, is when they actively look at the social interactions of the students and identify what information students need and um, what kind of activities. So, for example, in this one elementary school, um, a student who didn't or had autism, an autistic mm -hmm. student, and did not um, verbalize and mm -hmm. was pretty isolated um, in the lunchroom. And so they recognized it wasn't a problem. Nobody was reporting it as a problem, but that student was experiencing social isolation, but also just by that fact, other students were not approaching the student. Mm -hmm. You know, he wasn't initiating, so they weren't responding. So they deliberately created a, they called it a lunch bunch situation where students would have special time with the teacher during lunch with this student, and they were encouraged to interact, and the teacher modeled it. So they created um, a social situation that allowed students to become comfortable and accepting. They didn't have to do this, mm -hmm. but they recognized a, um, an opportunity when the student would benefit from this kind of interaction in order to really be more socially included. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, yes. What can families of, of kids with disabilities and kids without disabilities do to uh, normalize the experience of including students with special needs? Well, you know, I think if families, um, often families who have children with disabilities may also have other children who don't. And um, mm -hmm. with either any of their children, parents often form relationships with other parents. So um, I think one way that families can try to help with this notion is as they integrate their families together in playgroups or sleepovers or other kinds of social activities, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to help the school folks understand that there is life after school and there is an inclusive life <laughs> after school. Yeah. Um, you know, if, there, if school folks who may not really know what happens, you know, in the homes and in the communities and in the recreation centers, if they understand that, uh, that may, I, I think that may help. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Yeah, and the more the the more the kids are involved in the community, that that laps over. If they're if they're fortunate enough to be in their community school, that laps over into acceptance at school and and inclusion at school. Uh, the problem is oftentimes kids with special needs are in a school outside their neighborhood, so they don't have that overlap in their lives. And uh, we were always very fortunate that that uh, my kids were in their neighborhood school, and you really could see. You know, they saw the same kids at all different places. Those kids got to know them. And then in mm -hmm. school, they were much more accepted and included. So that's mm -hmm. a right. challenge, I think, and one of the reasons why it's so important to to be included in the school in your neighborhood and not sent someplace else, uh, as mm -hmm. is the case for too many kids. And yeah. it's also harder on the parents because you have to get all these different support groups in all these different places. <laughs> right. So, Terry and Nicole, I have a question that I would like to suggest that your listeners think about. Mm -hmm. And that, um, what is the responsibility of us as individuals? And it's not just us listeners or your listeners or me or mm -hmm. my colleagues, but what do we think about the responsibility of not society as a whole, I think we mm -hmm. have a sense of that, but individual people 
to promote and uphold a societal norm that says that disability is a part of the natural human experience. So what, if we have the ADA and we have IDEA and we have a provision that says students should be educated with others who don't have disabilities, preferably in their neighborhood school, mm -hmm. where is our responsibility? Right. Where do we right. say it's it's not easy to do that? Yeah. So yeah. let's do something that's easy and send the kid away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for giving us some something to think about then, because I think definitely you've brought up some really really great points and lots of interesting uh, uh, concepts and things that we need to to work on. For sure. Definitely. But unfortunately, that's our school bell, which is saying that our conversation has come to an end. So we leave you all with that question to consider and ask for yourselves, and hopefully we'll be able to uh, have Carol on again to discuss more about that. Uh, but yeah. for now, thank you for being our guest today. Uh, and I would you. like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Please join us next week when we talk to Robin Parker from the web website Practical AAC will talk to us about ways to help students learn language through augmentative and alternative communication. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at Mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. And you can follow Carol and her organization at capital M-C-I-E underscore lowercase I-N-C. Uh, and finally, you can download our past podcasts for free on Stitcher and iTunes. Uh, goodbye, everybody, and have a great week. Goodbye, everyone. Thanks.